This episode is brought to you by Canna Comforts, healing your mind, body, and soul with the finest all-natural products on earth. Canna Comforts was formed to help those in need of an all-natural but effective alternative to prescription drugs. Be sure you check out the description box of this episode to the link to their website and to learn more about the products they have to offer. What's up, world? Welcome back to another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. Y'all, I just, I gotta put this out there. I just had some technical difficulties, like my mic had me sound a little robotic. But yo, shout out to my team at the Black Podcast Club for helping me out in this moment. Because without y'all, I would have been sitting here stuck. I literally just had to unplug everything and restart it, and now I sound great again. Um, So anywho, the episode y'all are tuned into now is called A Gun in the Building, A Teacher Story. One of my teacher friends down in Florida went through this experience and there was a student who literally brought a gun into the building and a lot of things happened from that. Um, I don't want to waste too much time in the intro telling you guys the details of what's about to come because I'm going to let you hear from her voice specifically. I do want to take a moment though to just speak about education and where we are right now. I think one of the things that is a positive in the midst of this pandemic and everything that's going on is that we have an opportunity right now to really restructure and look at how we educate our children especially within the black excuse me especially within the black community um what you'll learn from this episode is that a lot of school districts a lot of schools there be some for lack of better time, there'd be some shit going on in these buildings and the leaders of these buildings don't want to tell parents, don't want to tell students, don't want the you know news media outlets to, to know and understand or know what's going on, which I understand that, I get that, but I also believe that there needs to be policies and procedures in play for these types of situations when they go down. Um, thankfully, I'm so grateful to God that this situation did not end um, with anybody losing their life, nobody being shot or anything in that nature, because school shootings is something that does happen. So I do want to spend a special shout out to all of my teachers right now. I know that you guys are going through so much with everything that's happening in the public school systems right now. So I encourage you. I support you. I'm here for you and know that a part of me is still working with you to help educate the community, to help educate young people and to help raise the next generation to be the assets of the world that we all need and that will help take care of us all one day. So without further ado, we're going to get right into this episode and I hope you enjoy it. Also understand that this is a two-part series. I wanted to break this up simply because it's, it's a lot, but the second part of this episode will be released Um, within the next few days so be sure after you listen to part one you tune back in in a couple days to listen to part two what's up everybody welcome back to another great episode of diary of a mad black man Uh, my name is blake i am your host and i have a very special guest today um, if you already have seen the title, um, it, I think this episode, based on the title alone, is going to speak for itself. So, um, Zoe, I want to go ahead and give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself. So, tell us a little about who you are and what you do. Yeah, 
everybody. Uh, my name is Zoe. I am a teacher in a middle school in Southwest Florida. Um, I this is my I just finished my fifth year of teaching, um, and it kind of consumes my life probably a little bit too much, <laughs> but it is definitely my dream job. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, for those of you all that may not know, I think it's good to share. Uh, we went to college together and we bonded because we both wanted to be teachers. And, you know, you were there for me kind of through my struggles. Um, and one of the reasons why I left teaching is because, you know, it's all on the podcast or whatever. But um, I just want to commend you for staying on the battlefield, for continuing to teach, because I know how demanding it can be at times, especially when you're just trying to kind of start your own life and get things in order. So um, huge shout out to you and for continuing with the mission. And it's been over 10 years um, since we've met each other like back in college. And to know that you're still teaching is really powerful to know that. Um, there's still good people in the classroom. I, I can honestly say that I know that you're one of the teachers that's like, okay, I know that there are some good people in some classrooms somewhere. But um, tell us, tell, for the people that don't know you, though, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Like, describe how you grew up. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I grew up, I uh, was very blessed in my childhood. I had, a, you know, a happy two-parent household. Um my dad worked, my mom did not. Uh, and you know, having a single income, I'm sure that they struggled a little bit financially, but they were very good about budgeting. And, um, I never felt the scarcity, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there were times when I was told, no, we can't afford that, but we always had food on the table and whatever. Um, so I, you know, as an adult now have seen, kind of the other side of that coin, um, especially when I was in college. And so I understand a little bit more about how blessed I am to have had that upbringing. Um, you know, I went to good schools. I had pretty good teachers. Um, I was in advanced classes, so there weren't a lot of behavior problems, which, um, I, you know, I say something like that and I think about how a lot of people, think it's because the kids are smarter and that's not really true. It's, you know, a function of, I don't even know how to say this. It's a function of, I mean, we have super smart kids who are not in advanced classes and it's not because they're not smart enough to be there. It's because they haven't shown on a standardized test you know, and there are all kinds of reasons why students don't do well on those tests. So it's, it's a lot, but, um, yeah, my childhood was, was pretty happy and, um, I was very blessed to have that. And so when I first got into, you know, truly into education and, uh, started working in title one schools, um, where students, came from not so great childhood situations. Um, it was a big eye opener for me. I remember, um, one of my first teaching jobs was in Springfield where you and I both uh, lived and it was a title one school and there was active gangs in the school. And, uh, that was really crazy for me seeing like how that affected the kids and, the educational environment and how much harder you have to work in that situation to help those kids overcome some of the obstacles in their path. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, for me, I know that working with students who come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds or who students who live in poverty, basically, mm-hmm. their lifestyle, their mentality, their way of life is oftentimes viewed as a negative because yes. it is often pointed at as, oh, because this child is in poverty, this is why this child displays X behavior, or this is why this child does this, or this is why they're in gangs, or this is why they're involved in drugs, or whatever it is it may be. And I think something you kind of alluded to already, which is that these kids are oftentimes just as smart, if not smarter, than some of the kids that may be in the AP classes or the advanced placement courses or whatever, you know, depending on the school district um, and how they're structured. Um, And I think, in my opinion, I think a lot of that is attributed to the structure of public school education. It doesn't necessarily um give the opportunity the same opportunities to all students you know i think that we can kind of yeah. go very in depth into how you know students are tracked and placed in certain courses and even how you know politics play a little their role in 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 schools and things like that but we'll save that for maybe another conversation um yeah. because you have shared something with me and i'm very thankful that you are being willing to even come on my podcast and share it this just for anybody that's listening i just want to say this this situation has been like one of my biggest fears being a teacher um knowing the kind of gun violence that occurs inside of schools is absolutely mind-blowing and to i mean we all i mean i'm pretty sure most people listening i mean you can't be alive today and not have heard of a school shooting before right um At, at least, I mean, in today's world. And so to know that you have experienced something like this um, is, is just, like, really shocking. So I really do want to thank you for coming on and being vulnerable, being honest, because it's not easy to talk about, you know what I'm saying? And I think that, you know, in 2020, this year, we haven't had many because a lot of schools have been closed because of pandemics, which I think is a good thing. Respect. I'm not saying schools being closed, but the fact that there's been no gun violence, no school shootings is a great thing. Um, yeah. But this situation occurred um, in your school, and I want to kind of give a little bit of background for the people that were listening. So can you kind of like describe uh, the community that you serve and the area that you work in? Yes. So um, I work in... Uh an area that, uh, again, is very low income, which, you know, as you pointed out, comes with a lot of stigma. Um, it's, but it does play a role, you know, in what obstacles children have to overcome. And, uh, so we have a hundred percent free and reduced lunches. Um, we have students who have no internet at home who, you know, have maybe a single parent household or, you know, there are a lot of, obstacles that get added to their life because of you know their home life situation um students who are babysitting younger siblings you know all those kinds of things where their focus can't be their education because there are so many other things going on um our ethnic breakdown is mostly hispanic and black um 
and we have, you know, a lot of great kids at our school. Um, I very much enjoy teaching there, but it is difficult. I mean, with the pandemic and the lockdown and all that, a lot of inequities have been brought to light. Um, and, you know, I've had parents asking me how to get their child to do their work. And so it's that sort of, you know, and it's not every student, obviously every student situation is different, but it, it's that sort of just, there are so many other things that are coming into the picture before the education itself. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's just, and it is very much also a function of how our education system works and is set up. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a tough school. We have several active gangs in our school. Um, and the thing is, it's not the majority of the students who are involved in those things. But it is there. It's happening. And even if the students themselves aren't involved in it, they live in the neighborhoods where these gangs are active. We had a student last year outside of school get shot and killed because he was being initiated into a gang. And it's interesting because nobody talks about it. That knowledge was not public. I figured it out on my own, but it was confirmed by somebody who knew, you know, but it's like, these are 12, 13 and 14 year olds. I teach middle school. This isn't even high school. You know, we have kids who are 16 in a seventh grade classroom still reading on a second grade level. And it's just insanity. Um, and the thing about it is the way it's set up too is it's exhausting for me as a teacher. I, I came very close this past school year to leaving, not even necessarily because of the gun in the school, although that was part of it, but just because I'm burnt out, I, you know, it's, hard to continue fighting this fight and be what the kids need for me to be because it's just this continual outpouring of my own emotional energy Mm. um that is a powerful statement you just said right there it's a it's a continuous outpour of your own emotional energy and i can a hundred percent relate to that because i I don't want to make this about me because I really want to hear your story, but just know that I 100% agree with that because that's what it was for me. It's like you love these kids. You want what's best for them. And at the same time, you still have to take care of yourself. And the toughest thing that I, that I was never able to work with, I was never able to move past or deal with while being in the classroom, um, was there was only so much I can do. By being a teacher you know what i'm saying yeah. because of my job as a teacher there was there was that my hands were tied in a lot of ways um and i and i wasn't able to work past that and that was a part of my frustration um and i can that's, that's why when you said that it just reminded me because that would also add to the kind of emotional turmoil that i think a lot of teachers go through because 
you see these kids every day and you know what they're going through. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times it's kind of unspoken. A lot of times, like you said, things are swept under the rug because nobody wants thing. Nobody wants to have the conversation. Nobody wants to yeah. talk about the real issues that are occurring in our schools, especially in the United States. Um, so I, I'll digress from that. But um, I know how long have you been at this current at this? Because you've been teaching for what, like five, six years now? You said. Yeah. Um. So I just finished my fifth complete year of teaching, and all five of those years have been spent at the school. Mm. Um. I had like a partial year in Illinois where I was in my own classroom. Um, but I ended up moving down to Florida partway through that year uh, because of some family things. And then I did like a partial year as a Title I school or teacher um, after I graduated. I kind of, well, I graduated in May, but then I spent an extra semester getting my math stuff. So I was stepping and working part-time and finishing up school and all that. So I didn't get hired until March. So I have a couple of years in Illinois, but the bulk of my teaching, and I would say the, you know, all of my full years of my own classroom have happened here in Florida at this school. Okay. So, um, so, so let's go ahead and get into the situation that she told me about. Um, so how did you first learn about a student bringing a gun to the school that you worked at? Well, so I'm <laughs> glad you asked me that because that's an interesting thing as well. Um, and I, I really want to say, like, I put no blame on my administration in this because I know what it's like to be not in this situation, but in the middle of a you have to make all the decisions and it's an emergency. Like, I know what that is. And so it's hard you know it's hard to pick up on all of the oh i need to do this and i need to do that and i need to do that so i i'm you know i'm very grateful for my administration and how they handled this nobody got hurt mm-hmm. um so that's i mean that's huge but it's major yeah that's big teachers teachers weren't informed we had no idea the school didn't lock down so um I happened to know something was going on because my classroom is next door to the school resource officer's office. So that's our armed policeman who's on on campus. Um, And I happened to be out in the hall when they brought this child to his office. So I I knew something was going on, but I didn't know what. I still had a class. this was the last day before Christmas break. So it was an early release day. Mm-hmm. Our schedule was all kinds of wacky because we, the class periods are all shortened. They still see all their teachers, but like for half the time, but then we can't move lunch. So, you know, they go to like first period and then seventh period and it's crazy. So, you know, that alone tends to increase behavior issues because it's a change in the routine, right? We're coming up on break, kids are excited. They don't wanna learn math, right? So it's it's just very chaotic. And depending on the teacher's classroom, more or less chaotic, because let's be honest, you generally, 
And it's not always. You have your teachers who want to be in the tougher schools. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about a school like I work at, we don't have a lot of draw. You know, we don't have a lot of hiring power. We don't have a lot of interest. Um, And so we have some teachers who should not be in the classroom and certainly should not be in the classroom at a school like ours. Um, Believe me, I 100% understand that as well. Because in some of the school districts I've worked in and in many places I've worked, it's a lot of people in positions that should not be there. So, yeah. Right. So this this Um, situation happened, you said the last, so basically like, so for people that don't know, like, well, I'm pretty sure everybody kind of remembers like Christmas breaks in school. Like it was like the last day before the break, you know, it was turn. We might have like a little celebration or something in the class. It's yeah. not a whole lot of actual learning. I'm not going to say that nobody learns on the last day, but teaching and learning is kind of at a minimum on the, at that, around that yes. time of the school year. Absolutely. And especially like the way our schedule works. We only even saw our classes for like 25 to 30 minutes. So it's like by the time you get them in, get them settled, you have maybe 15 minutes of solid time to work with, you know. So it's like, there's right, like you said, teaching and learning is not the main focus on that day. So so this happened on the last day of December before the break. Um, Yes. So then when, so you didn't initially know that this child had a gun. And ultimately, like when you saw him in the hallway, this child potentially had a firearm on him at that time when you saw him. Like that thought in and of itself is like mind blowing to me. So what was the next time that you knew, like when did you first learn that like, okay, this is the situation at hand? Right. So, um... We went through and we did dismissal like normal, and um, on my way back from my dismissal station, I ran into another teacher, and I asked her if she knew what was going on, and she thought that it was a BB gun, because that's how it initially got reported to administrators, and she happened to be in the office when it first got reported, so that's what she told me. Um, I did not find out until after school, uh, most teachers were gone. One of my other teacher friends has a student who was enrolled at our school as her son. And so she got the parent link that went out to all parents. Teachers did not get that parent link message. It's just an automated phone call system. So I found out from her that it was an actual real gun on campus. Um, Many teachers didn't find out until they saw it on the news that night. Many, many teachers had no clue until it was on the news that night. Um, So it was, you know, it was very crazy. Um, So the thing is, this child... I found out later, had this gun out on the bus on the way to school. And mind you, this is a sixth grader. He's 12 years old. Had this gun out on the bus on the way to school. Had it out apparently um, in the hallway during one of the, the one of the passing periods. Had it out in the cafeteria. Had it out in one of his classrooms, and this is where I say not every teacher should be teaching, um, that teacher left his class unattended long enough 
for this child to have the gun out, be passing it around, be threatening other students so that they wouldn't tell on him. He passed bullets around. We had to pull children off the bus to get bullets back. Um, just, you know, chaotic. Like I said, it just, it was in so many places. And so here's the thing. There are a lot of reasons why nobody saw it before this point. Um, one of them being that we have, at that time, 1,350 students enrolled in a school that was not built for that many children. Uh-huh. So passing periods are just, you know, a free-for-all sometimes. It's like there, there's only so many ways you can manage that. Um, but it's, you know, a lot, there's just a lot that goes into this. But this child had the, he had the gun, it was loaded, he had intention and plan. Um, I found out very recently uh, that he intended to block one of his classroom doors and shoot during that class period. And he got thwarted because some other student like removed the block to go to the bathroom or something. Um, and so he couldn't do it in that class period. And that was his intention. So then he was going to wait until dismissal time and start shooting then. And if, if he, if no student had spoken up, then he would have had, I mean, there's no way it would have been mass panic. You know, the school is already overcrowded. Evacuating takes some time. It just does. (laughs) So like he would have done damage. He would have done real damage. And so it's this overwhelming just lack of control. Like, there's nothing you can do to control that. You know what I'm saying? It's, I mean, there are things you can do to make it less likely to happen. But mm-hmm. once it's happening... It's, it's it, happening. Yeah. It's just happening. I, and it's, you know... I don't, I don't even know. Like, there's part of my brain that still can't quite wrap around... What happened? This happened in my school. Yeah, I can only imagine what that must feel like. I've had so I mean I've had some pretty serious situations um occur in, you know, schools that I've worked in. But I specifically remember um I believe it was around the time Parkland happened. And there was this like there were a lot of meetings that we would have at the school that I was currently working at about an active shooter, about safety plans and things like that. And so I found that, I remember at one of the meetings, I found myself um, somewhat confused and, and kind of frustrated about the procedures and how people were saying things were going to happen or occur or whatever. Um, and one of the things that I was able to appreciate about um, my principal at that time, which was she was very honest, she said, you know what, Mr. Johnson? Um, well, she said something along the lines of, Mr. Johnson, is something like this supposed to happen? At the end of the day, this is our plan, but you need to be thinking about how you're going to save yourself and potentially save some kids as well. And yeah. all I have to say is you need to 
save yourself because at that at that point however you know goes on like these are the procedures is what you're supposed to do but this this then turns into a life or death situation you know what i'm saying so i don't yeah. think that there's really i think that there's definitely procedures and policies that can be in place but in the midst of the moment it's like what do you do um like right. like and, and at this point it's kind of like what 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 happens now and i, and I want to talk just a little bit about that briefly like what have been because i know this is probably still like a developing and ongoing investigation um within the school um but what have been some of the consequences like do you know and i want to talk specifically about the teacher whose classroom who left his classroom unattended long enough for the bullets and the gun to be passed around um has there been any consequences for that teacher um, he got, as far as I know, he got a letter of reprimand and that's it. They were going to let him come back to work at our school in the upcoming school year. Is, is he actually coming back to your school or is that just like, nothing? he, he got a job at a different school. Mm. He's not coming back to ours, but they were going to let him come back to oh, ours. Wow. I mean, at the time, like while they were really still in the midst of the investigation um they removed him from the school i don't know if he a lot of times in those situations if somebody is under investigation they will have them doing something at the district office um but he wasn't you know he was just gone and i wasn't part of obviously you know i'm not an administrator so i don't know the details of that but um i do know that they were going to let him come back to work so then he was actually removed from the classroom for some time during the investigation. Yes. Um, everybody who was connected, you know, firsthand to that incident was removed from our school. So that also meant that then not only did we just have this situation, but then our school was running with lower manpower. We had a substitute in his classroom. We had a support staff that was out. We had an assistant principal who was removed um and she that you know they're talking after the investigation they decided that she needed to be demoted to teacher because she quote didn't follow district policy and the thing about that is i've seen the district policies i've looked at this a lot since this incident happened there are no policies for what to do if the shooter is not active you know, that it doesn't exist. Um, I've thought about it also, you know, one of the ways that I'm dealing with this is thinking about, okay, so what can I control in that situation? And like, what would I do if it was my classroom and I knew that a child had a weapon? And it's, you know, it's, but it's something I have to think about and I've had to figure out and I've had to talk to people and ask them what would they do in that situation to get ideas and like, okay, what would actually work? Because we don't have training on that. We don't. We've had active shooter training. We don't have training on what to do if, the, if we know there's a weapon, but it's not currently being used. Right. Yeah, I think that... Um... If it was me, like, I'm just speaking for myself, I would immediately try to remove the child from the classroom. 
Um, I would not allow them to take any of their belongings or anything that anywhere, any, any, like their backpack. You're not touching your backpack. You're not going in your backpack. Like you, your body, your physical needs to be separate from anything else. So then I think at that point, then maybe contact administration, um, school resource offices and is make sure the gun is not on the student and kind of go from there. Um, I think that would be kind of my first MO was to figure out what do you have and where is it? Um, but to yeah. also be very cautious in how um, that is done and not want to necessarily raise alarm to anybody else. But um, yeah, that's... or even to that student, I don't. I also don't want to get into a struggle then because the child knows that I have figured out what they have. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's so many different ways that that could occur and how that could go down. I can only imagine. Um, yeah. So. So how so what is so what is the ultimate result of the investigation at this point? Where what do you know as far as how like how was what are that what consequences are for the student um or being placed on the student at this point? Um so other than the very initial reports directly after the incident happened, the news has not been updating uh, their article on this. They haven't been putting out any new articles on this, so I don't know for sure um, what happened with the child. I know that he um, was detained, he was arrested, he was charged. Um, once the investigation had progressed a little bit more and they realized like how many different places he had had this gun out and how he had been threatening other children with it, they upped, you know, they added charges. Um, but I, I don't know more than that. I don't know if he's in the trial. I don't know any of that. Um, I would hope that he is now not allowed in any public school ever again. But I don't know. Um, and that's a little scary. You know, I, I don't know what became of that. Um, I know that our district has not like officially officially made a recommendation to our school board about this assistant principal and her position. Um, I know that there in the last couple of board meetings, there have been several community members who have come to those board meetings and spoken out in support of this assistant principal. Um, there have been several letters written. I think that that community support for her um, has been very beneficial to her case, um, but the superintendent still has not made a recommendation to the board, so that's kind of in limbo. The board can't do anything. Uh, you know, they can't vote on it until the recommendation has actually been made to them. Um, I do think maybe it's caused our superintendent to look uh, more closely at the situation. Um there have been concerns raised by board members um, about how the investigation process works within our district. Um, but I don't know. I think I think there's still a lot up in the air with that. I need a dollar, dollar, dollar. That's what I need. Well, I need a dollar, dollar, dollar. That's what I need. Well, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, world? Thank you for listening to another great episode of Diary of Mad Black Men. Before we go, I just want to let you guys know that I do have another sponsor for my podcast. <laughs> 
Indo High Organics is an Illinois licensed hemp processor producing indoor grown premium hemp, aka CBD, marijuana flower, and pre rolled blunts. They believe that not everyone wants to get high, most just want relaxation and relief. So if you want some relaxation and relief, go ahead and check the description box for the link to their website. Check out their products. They also have merchandise and apparel that you can purchase as well. And thank you for listening to another great episode. Y'all stay blessed. Alright, I'm a fault with you. Alright, bro.